All right, good morning. Are you glad to be here? We have already had our socks blessed off. I'm telling you, Serena did a wonderful job in the, in the fellowship hall this morning, and great job hearing them. And man, the worship's been good, and it's just good to be in the house of the Lord. You know, I was thinking, by the way, I, as I was, I was trying to tell the people, um, I, I, I fidget when I get nervous, you know, and, uh, and I was doing this on the table and rubbing things. And, and what happened was I was just getting so excited about Operation Christmas Child. When I think about you know, it's cool to think that some kids are going to get some toys. But when you stop and think they're getting the gospel, that's incredible. She threw some numbers up there in, in the fellowship hall. It said something like this. In 2017, um, there were 10 million shoeboxes given out in 2017. All right, then of those, okay, 4 million, 4 point something million of those kids went through the greatest journey, their discipleship program. Then 2 point something million made intelligent, decisive decisions for Jesus Christ. Now, do the math. Yeah, yeah, do the math. And that's right at 25% of those kids got saved. Now, let me give you an example here. What if every Sunday we gather in this room, Brent, and 25%, which would be about 75 people, every week we stood in this pulpit and worshiped, 75 people in this crowd got saved. You reckon we'd be excited? Hello, that's what I'm talking about. Come on now, yeah, go ahead. It's all right to play. I'm telling you what. They, this, listen, you need to be a part of this. You need to be a part of this. This is changing lives. This is what the gospel's all about. It's a wonderful deal. I told you, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. I said, gee, this is almost as good as Lottie Moon. <laughs> it just fires me up when you think about all the kids that are reached. So thank you, Serena, for firing us up, and I'm looking forward. And we will have, by the way, my goal, if Brenda, let me forget this, um, to put boxes here starting next week so you can walk up and get them anytime you want to. You might want to start packing just a little bit early, all right? So we'll have that, and we'll still have all the other stuff later on, but we'll do that then. Hey, listen, this is week number two in our new series entitled Stormproof. Stormproof lives. And, and we learned last week how this we live in a stormy world and where all that came from. But the bottom line is we live in this stormy world that we live in. How can we best stormproof our lives? Okay? Well, well uh, Paul in Philippians 4 gave us kind of an idea and said, In this manner, stand firm. In other words, he said, I'm going to tell you how to stand firm. I'm going to tell you how to stormproof your life. Okay? Very, very important. And what he talks about seems like a, like an odd deal, you know, but it's not. You know, if there's a silver, if there's a silver lining to storms, and there's usually not, okay. But but if there's a silver lining to storms, you know, if a if a tornado hits a town, if a bomb goes off, if there's a shooting, something. What and I hate used the word silver lining. But maybe it's a Roman 8, 28 thing, because what happens is, is you see people come together. There's unity. And here's what they say. They'll say, Boston strong. They'll say, Joplin strong. I'm sure somewhere, I looked on the web last night, and I saw some really incredible pictures of our 2012 tornado. It just refreshed how devastating that was. But somewhere in Harrisburg, I'm sure it was written or said, Harrisburg strong. And in that word strong, what you're hearing is we're together. Uh, we're going to pull through this. We're going to make it. 
That's what that all means, okay? And so hence, when you see DBC strong, okay, it's the idea of us going through the storms that Satan throws our way, but we come together united, and we come together real. Now, here's the deal with unity. Here's the idea. Now, we still hear America Strong. In fact, I think it's ABC News closes their segment every, every day with America Strong. America Strong. So we still hear that, but here's the deal. Once the crisis is over, there's a real tendency for the unity to go away. One of my, again, I hate to use this word, but I will. One of my, I'll use the word vivid. One of my most vivid memories of the 9-11 era right after that time was, I still can't believe it, is when most, almost all, the members of Congress stood on the steps of the Capitol building, okay, and sang God Bless America together. It was shocking. It was shocking to see how that group of people that's so diverse, okay, and had different opinions, you know, came together in that moment of crisis and sang God Bless America. However, it wasn't two days later. Started pointing fingers. Well, it's his fault. It's your fault. No, it's his fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's the Democrats. It just didn't last. There's power in unity. There's power when we say DBC or Joplin or Harrisburg strong, but it's hard to maintain. And that's what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about how do you maintain unity. Now, here's the deal. If a community that goes through a tornado is already strong, that's even better. The crisis will bring them together, okay? But if it's a strong, it's kind of like that, that thing you preached on Daniel. Remember? You know, he went and prayed through the windows open and prayed, but it's something he did anyway, okay? So, so when a community or a church is already strong and it goes through a crisis, it will respond great, but it's what it does anyway. And that's what we want. That's what we want. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, you need to know that the Philippian church... Uh, church of Philippi was one of those really good churches. I mean, rarely do you find one this well in, in the New Testament. Normally when Paul or John or somebody writes, okay, they got criticism. They say, well, this or that or this or that or this or that. But, but in the book of Philippi, there's really not that. I mean, it was a really strong, good church. And this is probably the only kind of a negative thing that you find in the entire book of Philippi. Okay? In fact, the theme of Philippi, the, the, the Philippian church, is joy. Is joy, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you something, and look at me. I believe this with my heart, okay? I believe we could call Philippi a sister church. I believe our church is very special. I, we're not perfect, don't say that. Not the only gig in town, not saying that. Not the only game in town, not saying that. I'm just telling you, this church is special. The people in this church are special. We generally, we generally care for one another. We love reaching out and touching people in Jesus' name. That's why in two weeks, there's going to be an event called Sunday in the Park, where, where they're hoping for a thousand people to come. We're inviting other churches to come and be a part of that. That's why you did smoke alarms yesterday. You did the polls. And, and Jeremy, you led a team over there finishing the Habitat House. And, 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 good, and, and we don't even know it, but we have ladies who gather once a month, cook cookies for the sole reason of going out saying we love you. That's, is that incredible? Is that incredible? It really is. So, so as you hear about this deal in the Philippian church, just kind of keep DBC, okay, in mind. Because, you know, I promise you, we're better together. We're better together. 
Okay, so, so again, Paul said in verse 1, so in this manner, stand firm, okay? This is how you stand firm in the Lord, all right? And here's what he starts out with, and you're going to go, really? Does that really apply? It does, because he said in this manner, and immediately talks about this situation. So, so in verse number 2 of Philippians chapter 4, what, he have, what I call, this means war. This means war. Now again, joyful church, one of the best churches in the New Testament, okay? But here's what happens. Paul writing and says, I urge, now this word urge is um, to appeal and to earnestly appeal. So there's emphasis here. It's not just, hey, would y'all mind? Okay, there's really some strength there. So whatever he's about to write about is important. It's important, okay? So he goes, I urge Iodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So, so there, were two, there were two people, and they just happened to be women, so boys don't puff up too fast. Okay? They just happened to be women, and these women got into a brawl, a fight, okay, in this church. And Paul strongly appeals to them not to do that, not to do that. Now, now there's a picture here that's important. Um, again, two people got crossways, okay? And here's the deal. Usually when two people get crossways, it doesn't stay that way, okay? We go from a conflict, okay, to a regional war. And what I mean by that is normally those two people will then go to people and say, hey, will you be on my side? And you, you, we're going to talk about it a moment. You name it, I mean... People fight about the craziest things, whether it's in church or at work or at school. It just doesn't matter. Families, it doesn't matter. But when there's that conflict, okay, rarely does it stay between two people. There's a regional war that breaks out, okay? And here's what's so true. It turns into a global war. It turns into a global war. And by that, I mean everyone gets involved. I'm going to tell you something. I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this a long time. And I want you to know... That this kills so many churches. Something crazy will happen. Two get mad at one another. All of a sudden there's 30. And all of a sudden the whole congregation has chosen sides. Has chosen sides. Paul knew this. And he would say, if they were saying today, he'd say, you know, that Philippian church was a really good church. But two people got crossways. And he knew that there was a great danger that it would go global. That would go global. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. Any kind of personal conflict like this, and by the way, you are, Brent, you'll confirm this, you are looking at the king of conflict avoidance. I mean, king of conflict avoidance. But he knew that if this thing didn't get under control, it could impact the whole Philippian church. And there might have been Philippians too, okay, or second Philippians, who had to come back and try to solve this problem. So he says, hey, I, Ioda and Sintiki, listen, you need to agree. But notice what he says. Do you catch it? In the Lord. In the Lord. Because of the Lord. For Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. See, in, in view of, of all that he has done for us, Sintiki and Yoda, you need to lay this aside. You need to lay this down. If not for, if not for the church's sake even, but for the sake of Jesus, you need to lay it down. Now, here's what we forget. Are y'all listening? Are you with me? Okay. We forget one thing. I, I'm going to tell you, and you can tell all you, because we don't ever have problems at Doorstill. 
Okay? But you can tell all your friends to go to other churches. Okay? Here's the deal. We forget. There's two things I want you to remember, and this is the first one. We forget that Jesus is our common denominator. We forget. See, the soup, you know, the gorilla, I moved on from super glue. The gorilla glue. I love those commercials. I love those commercials. The gorilla glue that holds us together, okay, it's not generations. It's not. It's not the style of worship. Those things don't matter. Those things kind of divide. Well, Dwayne, what holds us there? What's the gorilla glue? What's the common denominator? And it's Jesus Christ. It's not the fact that we're Baptists. It's not the fact of this or the fact of that. What holds us together is Jesus. And a chunk of y'all, a big chunk of y'all, are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? All right. So, therefore, what we have in common, again, I've got gray hair, and David's got black hair, and Brent ain't got no hair. Okay? <laughs> I could not resist, all right? But anyway, listen, listen. It's not, listen, we have differences, okay? Generationally speaking, music style, we got lots of things that we would, you know, we'd say, well, we're different about. But the power is in that one thing, Jesus Christ. So he says, hey, you know, I urge you, I earnestly appeal to you, Iodia uh, and Sintiki, lay this thing down and do it for Jesus' sake. So, so when you when you're, somebody mashes your button, okay, and, and you know what, and you feel it firing up, you say no, because of Jesus, no, because of Jesus. Now, here's here's probably the most amazing thing about all of this. In verse number three, the middle part. I'll come back and catch the first part, but I wanted to tie this in. Look at the middle part of verse three. These women. Now, it starts by saying, you'll help these women. These women who have contended for the gospel at my side. These weren't fringe women. They, they weren't members of the church that, you know, come once a month. They, they weren't members of the church, you know, who really just came because they didn't have anything else to do on Sunday morning. These are women... Who contended for the gospel at Paul's side. The word contend there means to struggle or toil together. These women were actively involved in the evangelistic efforts of the Philippian church. These women were not talkers. They were doers. And, and these women were strong team. That's what's so amazing. See, contention can happen to anyone. It happened to anyone. I will guarantee you, before these two women got crossways, they weren't contentious. They were content. They're friends, probably. No, they would be friends. It's amazing how it happens. But somebody said something, did something, and they got crossways. Okay? It's amazing how easy it happens. But notice again what it says. These women who have contended for what? The gospel. The gospel. I know what I said. You prayed a beautiful prayer. It was powerful. Because she mentioned the gospel. One thing matters. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. One thing matters. One thing matters. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our comfort 
is somewhere down the list. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our preferences is somewhere down the list. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything that occurs in a church that is, that is damaging to the gospel is wrong. Anything we do that keeps us from being what we are supposed to be and that are gospel sharers, if that, if that is detrimental to that calling, it's something we need to look at and remove. We are about every church, but we are about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I wrote this down. It was very telling, I thought. The women went, the members went, from fighting for the gospel to fighting each other. Say amen. That's good. And that's what scares me. It ought to scare every pastor. If I were you on the phone right now with Chris Winkle, Winkleman and that first pastor, hey, Chris, does it scare you when the church starts, stops fighting for the gospel and fighting each other? He said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pick your, you know, go, let's go to Methodist Church. Hey, Methodist Church pastor, does it scare you when people stop fighting for the gospel and fight each other? Oh, yeah. It's a dangerous thing. And that's why, that is why Paul put this here. Put this here. Now, how could this happen? How could, how could two solid, believing members of a church, I mean, sold out to Jesus, they were there on Tuesday night visitation, they were tithers and givers, they were sold out to, how in the world did they get crossways to the point that 2,000 years later, we're reading it in the Word of God about their fuss? How does that happen? Well, there I stumbled onto a quote by what I call the old dead guys, um, Charles Spurgeon. And his quote is so telling, so telling. I think we have it for the screen, and I know it's in your Bible app. Satan, here's what Charles Spurgeon said, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. One of the things that Satan fears and he hates is when the body is united and functioning as God intended to do he hates that. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. And I kind of thought, I said, you know what? That's true about money. You're saying, huh? God, or Satan hates it when your money, he wants to keep your money away from God's kingdom. What do you think? He, he, wants, he wants to keep your calendar full of kingdom away from the kingdom of God. He wants your checkbook to reflect the world. He wants your calendar to reflect the world. And guess what? He wants every person apart. He wants a body divided. He wants severed arms, severed legs. He wants the body torn apart. Anything, anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. I mean... People get wired up about the craziest things. I get wired up about the craziest things. And it's amazing how if we're not careful, we let ourselves become torn, torn apart. We are, we are such experts at making uh, molehills into mountains. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Mountains out of molehills. There we go. Mountains out of molehills. Thank you, whoever said that. Thank you very much. All right. Are we good at that? 
The, the, the things that, that get people fired up are so small in the area of eternity, but we get fired up. We get fired up about it. So, so anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. He attaches far more importance to godly community than we do. He gets it. He understands a church united is a formidable foe. A church divided is weakened, is weakened. Finally, he says, since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. Take that as gospel. Listen, how many of y'all believe in God? Say amen. How many of y'all believe in Satan? Hmm. You ever thought about that? If there's a God, there's a Satan. If there's no Satan, there's no God. Okay, so you've got to understand he's part of the game. All right? And, and he does his best to promote separation in the body, to separate them. So, what does Paul do? Well, in the first part of verse 3, he looks for a peacemaker. He looks for someone to solve this problem. Now, here's the deal. <laughs> I think I find this rather humorous. A while back, last year sometime, I was doing a sermon on pride. And so I typed pride into the Google search. Me and Google are close friends. Okay? And up pops three pages of homosexual rainbows. Yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, that's how I'm just telling I'm just telling you that how the word pride has changed. You Google it, go home and Google on your computer. Just type pride. You won't find anything about pride, you'll find anything about the, the LG movement. That's what you'll find. Well, the same thing happened here. So I said, well, I'm going to type peacemaker. And this is what came up. <laughs> Honest to good. Now wait, 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 wait. To really appreciate this, two pages of guns. And of course, that's the that's the 18 something another peacemaker. You know? It's amazing, okay? How you, and then I thought about it. I said, well, maybe that's appropriate after all. You know, shoot a few people and things might change. <laughs> Mike's going to say, Dwayne, don't say those things on the radio. Don't say those things on the radio. All right? But anyway, you know, I was really surprised that Peacemaker just wasn't there. So Paul looks for a Peacemaker. And here's what he says. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women. Paul went looking for a peacemaker. And, and he knew, and by the way, we don't know who this is, this true partner. We don't know who it is. But he saw the value. He, he saw these women, now listen, listen, listen. He saw these women as too important to lose. We are such, we are such like garbage men. Somebody offends us, throw them out. Somebody doesn't fit our mold, throw them out. Someone missed three signs in a row, We'll give you another chance, then we throw you out. Okay? What? Paul said, I don't care what Iodia and Sintiki are doing. They're valuable. And I want to tell you something. Every person in Dorisville Baptist Church family is valuable. Oh, 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 I'm going to tell you something else. Everyone out there in that community is valuable to God because Jesus died for them. We've got to see the value of people. So he finds a peacemaker. He says, yes, I ask you, true partner, to help these women, and here's the context, who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clementi and the rest of the, my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. He said, we, we, have a, we had a formidable team, but two of our members have fallen away. Now, he could have said, I got eight left. Don't need those two. 
He knew the value. Lord, may we learn the value of people. That people really matter. Our little slogan here is because every person matters. And you know what? They do. They do. So, as we're talking about peacemakers, then here's the deal. Each one of us will have multiple opportunities to choose roles. Okay? Uh, now, this is true, by the way. This, is, this will be good for you. Um, that's true in church. It's true in your families. Um, it's true if, you're a, if you work at an institution, school, bank, coal mine, whatever your job is. It's true there. Okay? It's true in your neighborhood. And, boy, is it true in church. So we're going to have roles that we get to choose. Okay? And there are two roles. One is peacemaker, and the other is pot stirrer. Someone who stirs the pot. You know? We get to choose what role we're going to be. Now, this is the other thing that happened to me. Um, this morning, I'm sitting in my chair studying, and I've got this corner. I don't know if God lives there or not, but whenever I'm praying, you need to know I don't close my eyes. I know it's weird. But it's really weird that whenever I pray, I look at the fan and the ceiling, that, that corner up there. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying, God, I, I read this verse, these two verses, and I said out loud, God, how do I miss this? How do we miss this? Now, Jesus is speaking. Now, who? Yeah, this is bigger than Paul and all those guys. Okay, Jesus is speaking. And he says something, and you know, when Jesus talks, we all listen. Now, now listen to this. I give you a new command. Now, command. Not a suggestion, not would you mind taking it to the deacons and see if it passes, or check with the trustees and see if it fits into our agenda. It doesn't say that. Jesus, Jesus said, speaking to the guys, I give you a new command. Love one another. Here's how. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Now, how do we miss that? How in the world can we sit there in our little worlds and get mad at someone and almost come to hate them? The command of Jesus Christ is love one another. How? Just like I've loved you. Now, I don't know about you. You may be so perfect. You may be one of those perfect people and you never mess up. But personally, I'm grateful that Jesus doesn't come to me and say, Whoops, you messed up. You're out. Oops, you forgot to pray. Oops, you forgot to give. Oops, you forgot to love. You're out. I'm kind of glad that I've got the Jesus love that says, I'll just keep loving. So, so here is Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Now listen, if you're not a Jesus follower, you get a free pass on this. But if you are a Jesus follower... We need to let this one soak in. You know, we got to let it soak in. Love one another. Hey, Santiki, Yodia, love one another. And I want you to love them just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. John 13, you need to, if you're into tattoos, that one needs to be on your hand. That one needs to be on your hand. Or maybe you like those Jewish guys who put these little boxes on their heads. Scripture boxes. They put John 13 in there. And then he says the, 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 the key, you know, buy this. Buy this. 
Not, ha- not if we wear ties. Not, not if they see our driveway empty on Sunday morning. Not, not that. Not that. By this, by love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now that's huge. Come on, amen? I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Someone stand up right now and say, no, preacher, you're overdoing it. Someone stand up. We can't, can we? Because our Savior, the one who bled and died on this cross as a demonstration of the powerful love of God for us, this Jesus commands us if we love one another. Hey, Yodia, love Sintiki and vice versa. There's power in that. There's power in that. There's power in that. Now, Jesus also said in Matthew 5, 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let me tell you a difference between peacemakers and potsters. Peacemakers don't settle scores, they settle hearts. Somebody go, ooh, that's good. Peacemakers don't settle scores, they settle hearts. Potsters don't settle hearts, they settle scores. There's the difference. Peacemakers work for unity, potsters want to divide. Okay, so one of the one of the wildest scripture in the Bible is found back in Proverbs chapter six. You know, there's certain like like for instance, um, I think does the paper still have that list of everybody got speeding tickets and stuff in the paper? Did they have that still? No, oh, yeah, they're not going to do it with that. And what's that newspaper disclosure? The disclosure. Okay, yeah, the disclosure. So, so there are certain things you don't want your name in, okay? And that list and that paper are two of them, okay? Well, this is a list to miss. A list to miss. Here it is. Proverbs chapter 6. The Lord hates six things. Pretty strong. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. And good old King James says, the seventh is an abomination. So he hates these six things, and the last one is an abomination. You got that? You believe it? You believe the Word of God? Okay. I'm glad Pastor appreciates him. It's a little far down the road because I wouldn't get nothing. The, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Here we go. Here we go. Arrogant eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness um, who gives false testimony. And here it is. Here it is. Here's number seven. This is an abomination to God. And anyone who stirs up trouble among the brothers. See, Sintiki and Iodia were kind of on rocky ground. Sandy ground. It was not good. And so we need to be aware that, that we need to be peacemakers and not potsters. And by the way, don't you dare think just church. How about work? At work, are you a peacemaker or a potster? How about school? Peacemaker? Potster. Goes around. Hey, how about down at the soccer field on your players, on your teams? Peacemaker? Soccer. How about on the football team? 
I understand they're struggling. You know, yeah, it's all your fault. If you'd throw the ball, if you'd miss, not miss tackles, peacemaker or pot stirrer. Which one? Now, this is something I wrote, and I'm putting it down as a quote. I said, I don't get to quote myself very often, but this is pretty good. But then I realized I didn't like what I wrote, so I'm going to change it a little bit. <laughs> Each of us have the choice to be peacemakers or pot stirrers. Be aware that your decision shows whose side you are on. I'll read it again. Each of us had the choice to be peacemakers or pot stirrers. Be aware that your decision shows whose side you are on. It's indicative. It's indicative. What did Jesus say? What comes out of the mouth is from the heart. From the heart. So, so, so when, we, when we stir the pot... Okay, when we seek to divide and not bring unity, that's very devilish. I'm not saying you're Satan. I'm just saying it's damaging to the kingdom. In fact, I love the fact, I mean, I ran past it. You know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called son of God, sons of God. I mean, I think, I think Jesus is saying, you're most like me when you're a peacemaker. You're most like me when you're a peacemaker. And you're most like the devil when you're not. When you're not. When you're not. Very important. Something to think about. I mean, boy, I'm thinking families. I'm thinking families. How this, how this would play out in families. It's amazing. All right. So, who started World War I? Who started World War I? Well, it doesn't matter. But I'll tell you. In case you care, okay, um, uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie were from Austria, and they were assassinated. And that got some folks fired up. Okay, And in the end, millions and millions, tens of millions of people were dead because of that. All right. Now, I'm sure those that started the war thought they had to get revenge. Okay, But I'm going to give you something that's really good. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says this. Here's what Paul said. Do not take revenge. If somebody messes with you, okay... Somebody messes with your brain, messes with your personality or something. You know, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Now, I know we often, we often want somebody's pound of flesh. They did this to me, I want my pound of flesh. <laughs> Somebody was fired up one day about something I was involved in. I don't know what it was. I said, do you want me to cut my arm off and bleed to death? You know? Well, listen, let me tell you something. Your wrath is nothing compared to God's wrath. So if you got somebody who mashed your button, leave it to God. He's better at it. And it plainly says, leave room for God's wrath. It's written, it is mine to avenge. I will pay, says the Lord. So if somebody mashes your button, you've been offended, whatever it is, leave it to God. He's better at it. His pound of flesh is going to be bigger than your pound of flesh. Okay? That's good stuff. So, so ladies, when your husband offends, just leave it to God. Yeah, and, and, and guys, and guys, and guys, when somebody, you know, when your wife offends you, just leave it to God. When your kids, never mind, we won't go there. All right, so, so we'll move on. Okay, so, so who started World War I? A bunch of people were mad about something. So what happened with these two members? We don't even know. Paul never tells us what happened, okay? But James... Kind of gives us some insight. 
Okay? In James chapter 4, verse 1, and we'll get on the screen here, he says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? How did, how did Iodia and Sintiki get fired up? Okay? So, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Here it is. Here it is. Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? And the answer is yes. Often, you know, we have this passion, this thing going on. We get Again, we get insulted. We got our feelings hurt. We feel left out. They chose him instead of choosing me. They chose her instead of choosing me. And we get mad. Okay? We have this passion inside. But we have this real tendency, okay, to, 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 let, to assign it more weight than it deserves. You know, wars break out when we give weight to something more than it deserves. Wars break out when we give more weight. I'll say something to Judy. Because, again, she has a real struggle. You ladies, you know it's like to be married to a perfect husband. I drive her nuts. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you laughed because you know that's not true. But I will say something. She'll look at me like, why did you say that? You know, why did you? Well, and then I try to explain I explain it away. It never works. <laughs> it never works. Well, what I really meant, uh, what I really meant was this, you know? Uh, didn't really mean that. Uh, yeah, I really did. You know, it's just it is. So, so, where these, we, we assign, you know, wars start when we assign, you know, more weight to something. And we say things and do things that are absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. So, I'm watching the clock because I, you know what? I think. Let me see here. Now we got time. We got time. I want to tell you two stories. One is Cain Abel, okay? And that's in Genesis chapter 4, okay? Just tell you the story. So, so um, and by the way, you know, Adam and Eve had two sons that we know of, and that's Cain and Abel. And you know why they struggled as parents? Because they raised a little Cain. Okay. So we got Cain and Abel, raised in a Christian home. Can I have an amen? Raised in a Christian home, and they were. And they had different occupations, okay? So Cain became a farmer, and Abel became a herder of, of animals. And so, you know, they were raised in church, like I said, and they were raised to bring offerings and sacrifices. And so Cain shows up first, and he brings some. That's really cool how the word there, don't, don't miss that word. He brought, they brought some of his harvest, okay? And then Abel brought portions of his best. Now, there's a couple of things I know about an animal. If you don't bring all of it, that means you've got to slay it to bring a portion, okay? So the animal died, blood sacrifice, okay, and, and brought that. So, so here we have Cain who brought some, not very generic, and here we have a, uh, yeah, Abel who brought the best, the best of his portions, okay? And then the Bible says it. God said yes to Abel and no to Cain. Now, we can talk a long time on this. We're not going to do that. But I will tell you this. What was the issue? What was the issue? It was hard. It was their heart. Okay? Here, you've got Cain who brought some. Here, you've got Abel who bought the best. It was devotion to God. That's the value issue. But the bottom line is, Abel got set and God did, or Cain didn't. And guess what happened? Yeah, Cain got fired up. Hey, brother, can we just go for a walk in the field? You know, tiptoe through the tulips. You know, just have a good time. And he got out there, and Cain kills his brother. 
jealousy, the green-eyed monster. That's what the wars look like sometimes. And then, and then there's this one with Acts chapter 15 that, that we taught this, by the way, oh, a couple, three, four weeks ago, five weeks ago on a, on a Sunday night. And, and here's this story in Acts. I really need to take just a minute and, and read through this because it's really good. Because, you know, it's one thing Cain and Abel, but this involves a couple superstars in the New Testament. Okay? Should bring it right home to us. Well, so after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Now, for the sake of my illustration today, okay, I think it's a personality deal going on here, what you're going to hear about. It's a person. Anybody have struggles with personalities? He just gets under my skin. Okay? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so, so we're going to call Paul the enforcer. Okay, and we're going to call Barnabas, which the Bible calls him, the encourager. So we've got two totally different personality types. Okay, well, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Isn't that a stellar idea? Hey, hey, Barney, um, we, we went on a journey and we had all these people get saved. Why don't we go back and see them? Okay, sounds like a great idea, was a great idea. So Barnabas agrees, okay, and says, Barnabas agreed, and then he wanted to take John Mark. Now, John Mark was either a nephew or cousin, I'm not sure, but he is related to Barnabas. But that's not the deal. The deal is John Mark quit, okay, on the first missionary journey, Things were not going well. They were getting opposition. And he went home. He just got on a boat and went home. He quit. Okay? All right? And that really was a problem. Well, when Barney said, you know, let's, let's take John Mark with us, Paul the Enforcer strongly disagreed. Since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in their work. Okay, so there's a deal going on. Barney, the encourager, says, let's take John Mark. Let's give him another chance. And it's not because he's related. It's just the way he was wired. Okay? And I say Paul the enforcer because, you know, his background was Pharisaic. And so, you know, rules were still important to Paul. They were just gospel rules. Okay? But also, Paul had the kind of personality where he was pretty straight down the road. And so it was hard for him to say, oh, yeah, let's bring him again let him fail again. Okay? He just said, no, no. And so I can see Barney going, hey, don't you think? No. But really, no. But he's such, no. I said, no. And look at this. Verse 39. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas, and as he left... And the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. The contention was so great that they separated. Now, here's what you need to know. What happened? I'll be glad to tell you that eventually, I'm sure Paul asked for forgiveness, because later on, we see him writing these words. Do this, do this, do this. Oh, and bring John Mark with you, because he's proper for the gospel. Paul owned it. Paul owned it, he said. Paul owned it. So, even the strongest believers struggle. 
And if we had time, and it's on your sermon seat, it's on the app, we would look at Romans chapter 7 about right now, but we don't have time. We don't have time. But what you can do is go back to the scriptures and read them. And then finally in the end, I'm, I'm going to take time. I've got a minute. You know, and, and by the way, don't come up and say, you preach as long as you want. I know that. I'm just trying to value your time. I'm just trying to value your time. But, but, but let me read this to you. You know that scripture in Ecclesiastes? Remember, Brent, that scripture we used in weddings were about three-strand chords? This is one of the most beautiful scriptures for the church. You know, see, you need the church. Someone's listening on the radio. I ain't going back to that church, but I'll listen on the radio. You know, you need the church. You need the church. Listen to this. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. We need each other. We can't pull off our breakfast Christmas child with three people. We can't do Sunday in the park with 50 people. It takes working together. If either falls, his companion can lift him up and pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. You need the church. Now, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep warm alone? And if someone empowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. We need each other. So here's the deal. If we are going to be the church God wants us to be, if any church, if any church is going to be the church that God wants us to be, if we're going to see Harrisburg reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we're going to continue to see ministries in Puerto Rico or Nicaragua um, or, or Africa, you know, wherever it might be, if our friends are going to get to Spain and stay there, we've got to come together. Because you know what? We're DBC strong. We're better together. We're better together. Now keep in mind, Satan wants nothing more for that not to be. Just be aware. Just be aware. Just Hopefully you're aware of God and His presence. Just be aware of the intentions of the enemy to tear apart. He loves. He loves. Torn apart. And I say, the great part is, is when we're strong now, you know, when there's a rough road ahead somewhere and we don't know what that would be or how it would be for a church, we don't know, okay? But we'll already be strong together. We'll be DBC strong together. And in your life, if you're strong before the storm, you'll go through the storm better. At work, if you're, if you're strong at work, you'll go through that storm better. Do it better. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing this. God, I want to pray it will wedge right in the hearts of people. Right in the heart. It's so amazing to me that when Paul talked about the things to stand firm in, the first thing he talked about was this. So it must be important. It must be important. Father, I am grateful for our church. I hope I made that clear today. We are so blessed with the personality and the tenor and the atmosphere of Dorothy Baptist Church. But Father, I know Satan hates it. Make us be aware. Make us be aware. Make us be aware of the enemy. And may we, Father, do everything we can to fight him and to remain united. And Father, I pray for families. Every, it seems like every week, but it's not that often. But every month, I hear families that are divided. A husband and a wife, a mom or dad and children. 
a brother or a sister. Father, I pray for unity and for peace. Sometimes I hear of conflicts at work. I pray for your peace. And God, ultimately, and most, I pray for the person who needs the peace with God, that today needs to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And Lord, as we have this decision time, would you give them the courage to walk out, take Brent by hand, and say, I want to know this Jesus. This one who can turn men and women into peacemakers. I want to know him. And Jesus, I ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.